James. Well, Duncan, quick question. Yes. How many times does it take two guys to make a podcast? In this case, it takes two times because somehow <laughs> last time the recording broke. Um, it's sad because I liked it. Um, and this is one of the things. Um, so welcome to Cloud Street, which is a podcast where James and I talk about a topic. Um, today we're going to talk about is a colorblind society really the answer? Question mark. Again. Um, and we talked about this last time, but one of the things this is, is just a really great friendship activity. Um, and and means like James and I live in different cities. You know, we set, make time to talk to each other. We get deep into a topic, but also listening back to it is super interesting. Um, I don't really normally listen to how I converse. You know, I don't record it when I'm talking with my friends or at work really. And if I sometimes there's some meeting that's really important at work because others, I don't really listen to it anyways. And so it's just a really great time for reflection um, on things. Mm -hmm. So this is part of what this is. But this morning I'm tired. <laughs> I want to get up. I didn't want to get up. Alarm went off and I was like, no, let me sleep in. What's happening? It's Sunday morning. Yep, and go. you and your the last bastion of hope is to pray that the other person feels the same way. So you reach yeah, out no. to the phone. You're like, are we podcasting? And the other person, <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm just not there. All right. Um, so so let's try this. Since we did this last week, hopefully this is better than than this. Um there's a there's a an article that we'll link to um which was on Jonathan Haidt's blog um and we're going to try to set up some definitions and then get into where we think we are so to me um colorblindness is where you do not take race into account you are colorblind uh the whole Martin Luther King quote uh, should be judged on the context of your character and the other end is where you are taking race into account so this might be uh, traditional racism, like Sam Crow or something, um, where you think Jim less Crow? of somebody. Um, oh yeah, Jim Crow, Sam Crow, Jim Crow. Don't know. <laughs> um, and the other one is affirmative action, where you are proactively trying to help. So you are looking at skin color, you are seeing skin color. So one is like you're trying to get them a leg up, shall we say? One is you are not taking it into account, and one is you are. Uh, pushing down or, or, or uh, so um, liberals from 10 years ago would have probably said that color blindness, i.e. you don't take it into account is the end game is the, is the goal. And it appears that today liberals also, I suppose what, whatever the left now is more that it should be taken into account. I.e. affirmative action is very important. Um, so yeah, that's my setup at the moment. Over to you, James. Yeah. So I think the, the, the part that I can try and add to that is, uh, Not much, as per usual. Okay. Good thing this is an audio recording. Uh, <laughs> so right. the, spe the spectrum that Duncan and I are trying to use, which is colorblind on one side and decidedly not colorblind on the other, um, mm. I think the first thing is that this is an abstract notion. Well, no, not, not so colorblind. So colorblind's in the middle. So there's like, Putting so it's like I suppose what racism is like, well if you have got a certain skin color you're worse than somebody right you you get less then colorblind is skin color doesn't matter then affirmative action is well if you are got a certain skin color then you get a leg up and you so try to say the other evidence is like white supremacy like negative yeah well racism. it's it's kind of like you know there was you know the back part of the bus and, and you know mm. colored toilets mm. and stuff in the south or whatever um, and in Australia you know think so to be Color blindness is where color racism taken into account and also skin color. 
uh, you know, racism is where it is, but it's, you know, there's a class of people that are below or whatever. And then affirmative action is, say, people that are disadvantaged, or if you want to look at uh, given a leg up. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. I, it makes sense. But I think for this conversation, we should try and take that spectrum and do this where you have racism on one end and you have the, 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 the contention that you are not racist because you don't see color at the other. Right. And so that's interesting because I, that's one way of looking at it. And we didn't see it right. this last week. Immediately we have found some new grab because <laughs> some people would call the affirmative action a form of racism. Yeah, it is. It totally um, is. Whoa, 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 whoa. See, that that is contentious in my opinion. Mm -hmm. that, that you, so to, and, and so so basically racism in some people's minds is bad. Yeah. And anti-racism is good, right? Yeah. Now it is a form of judgment by skin color which some people feel is not the end game. So I suppose you are implicitly saying, or maybe explicitly, because if you read between the lines, that colorblindness is therefore, in your opinion, a good thing? Well, I'm trying to put them in camps so that we can then man manage and maneuver between them, right? If we've got affirmative action on one end and negative um, derogatory racism on the other end, it's going to be hard mm -hmm. for us to kind of like place where we are in between the two uh, sides of the middle and so oh, no you can because like to me it's like traditional racism uh, jim crow sam crow jim jim crow <laughs> i think jim crow or whatever right yeah. then there's like colorblindness and then there's affirmative action and yeah. and so to me i do think that you can draw a distinction between jim crow we're going to call it for now it's going to look yeah, like no, I, so I, i've I, just I, woken up this is very bad my brain is not working properly Google and, has verified Jim Crow and Whilst I do believe that you can say that they are both possibly forms of judgment by skin color, and all they are, and as such, possibly racism, I think it's hard to say they're the same thing. I, I don't think they are the same thing, but I think similar to what we were talking Somebody about. Somebody just said that they're the same. So if well, we were no, to rewind a few minutes, <laughs> we, we've got the recording this time, and, know, we can, <laughs> and you can show that. I was not saying they're the same thing. I would make the case that they are both racist. And so that's why I think they belong on the same end of this topic, which is do we mm. think race should play a role in identity or do mm. we think we should try and make like race does not play a major role in how we craft our identity mm. and how we approach. So like you've got that Martin Luther King mm -hmm. quote, you know, content of your character on one end and the other end is content of your color. Okay. Uh, okay. I can see that. Um, Cool. Um, last week, and we should talk about this. Like to me, I believe that people that think colorblind is the answer think it's because that's the best way to improve society, mm -hmm. um, or that's the, one of the core justifications or tenets of why they put it forward. And people that think that affirmative action should be done think that that is because it's the best way to improve society. Um, so they've both got the same sort of reasons. Like, no, this is the best way to improve. No, this is the best way to improve. And so I thought I'd try to zoom out and provide a quick model um so well maybe this is getting into deeper than territory in the head for like each economic system in some respects is like a response to the current problem and so there was like feudalism where the king owns everything and you know when the spanish went to south america they were doing it for the king or, or when napoleon was around you know the french universities um all of the intellectual property created was owned by napoleon but it started mainly in Britain that, you know, if you're at Cambridge or Oxford, you owned the, the IP. And when they were colonizing or whatever you want to call it, North America, 
people that were going there would be given plots of land. Um, and if you did this, as opposed to, no, everything that is there is, is for the king. Um, and then you had the Industrial Revolution and you had, um, you know, people that had capitalism, you know, becoming... Or, or no, or relatively, uh, they thought it was like um, the rubber barons. So, you know, Carnegie, Vanderbilt, Rockefeller. And they were like, you know, whatever, oil, steel, trains, um, you know, JP Morgan, banking. <clears throat> and they were they were too powerful and they had the um, things. And then they, were, they had um, the breakup of these, you know, under Roosevelt. Um, and you had the creation of unions. And you went from, as an example, like six days a week, 12 hours working to five days a week, eight hours working at the same pay. So like a large re-bargaining of the contract. So at that time, when these people, the, the owners of capital were like, some still, I say, somewhere between $800 billion today, so more wealthy than the wealthy people today, um, like Carnegie and Vanderbilt, <clears throat> then the response to this was Marxism. Well, so it'd be firstly, the king owns everything, then capital owners or um, the bourgeoisie uh, own everything and the proletariat, you know, so then it's, instead of them owning it, it should be owned by the people. So Marxism comes along. So it's a response to the current thing, Right. And some people try that. So they try that in Russia and stuff. And some people don't. They don't try that in America. And then you have the Great Depression, which is kind of like, oh, capitalism isn't working. And then you have Keynes come along and recommend this. And then you have another rebargaining in the New Deal with Roosevelt, which is based on a lot of Keynes' ideas, which is where the government goes and steps in. So there is like welfare and healthcare and stuff that's for free, which didn't sort of exist before. And so that's a response to that, right? And then the government takes over the commanding heights of the, of the economy. And then you have what a lot of people think is too much government involvement. And you have the oil embargo and OPEC credit in the 70s. And then you have stagflation, which is where you have high inflation, but no growth. And then you have Hayek and other people come along and they're like, no, no, we have too much of the government control. We need the neoliberalist agenda, which is government selling off things. The government shouldn't own the power. You know, then we have deregulation. We have, you know, globalization, sort of three tenants, right? And that happens. And... That was, in some respects, trickle-down economics or Reaganism and Thatcherism because they were the politicians that were associated with this. And then that goes away and then it comes and it starts to break at the globe, at the GFC, right, where you have the breaking of the banking system. And then you're like, oh, no, we need to do more regulation, blah, 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 right? And so Rawls comes along at the end of the 1990s and he's considered a left-leaning economist. Um, but I don't know if that's the case. I think he's just looking at the problems of the time and he's in you know, the White House talking with... Um, Clinton, who, you know, Democrat left-leaning. Um, and his overriding um, way of helping the world is that we should, the only way you can justify inequality is if it helps those out at the bottom. So, for instance, if you want a 1% increase for those at the bottom, and you can only get it by having a 1% increase for those at the top, where well, you take it. But if you get a 1% increase at the top for a 0% increase at the bottom, that doesn't make sense. But also... If you can only get a 1% increase at the bottom for a 10% increase at the top, well, actually, that makes sense. So I, I would say that Rawls was coming along in the face of the sort of supply side economics or Hayek or, you know, Reaganism, Thatcherism, and thinking more about, okay, well, instead of top down, you know, you remove regulation, you lower taxes, and that, that grows the pie and then everyone wins, you think about optimizing society for those at the bottom, it was like a new theory and it's considered to be sort of a left-leaning theory, but I suppose it doesn't feel to me left in, in sense. It just feels to me like, ah, the next generation and, and, and a continued, uh, uh, you know, sort of optimization of, of the economic model. And the reason I'm saying this is that I believe in this society where you're optimizing for the bottom, 
the people whose skin color is whatever it is at the bottom are those that you're giving affirmative action to. So as an example, you should have a progressive tax system. Those at the bottom pay no tax because they haven't earned enough above to that. And those at the top pay a lot of tax. And so there is a form of treating people differently, but it's not based on skin color. It's based on where you are and where your starting point is. And so if on average in the US, as an example, then there's 15% of people that are black or whatever, that on average they're uh, lo lower income. You don't treat all black people the same. You treat people who are at the lower income uh, the differently. I hope, does that make some sense, James? It's a long, long ass thing. Sorry. Well, well yeah. So, like, in, in addition to Duncan's, uh, you know, wide ranging history on uh, <laughs> you know, socioeconomics, I yeah. think where we got to at the end there is um, taking, you know, Rawls's, um, you know, economic theory, or I think he called it the justice theory of justice, where the, the concept is we want to live in a free and open and equal society. In order for us to achieve that, we try and give like similar um, equation of equality of opportunity for all, and also arraign the inequalities so that anything that benefits the advantage also benefits the least advantage. So those are like my understanding here. And what we're doing is we're trying to map that Go over. Something because I yep. don't know if you meant to say this. Like, there's a quality of outcome which is communism, Marxism, you know, socialism. It's got it wears different hats, you know. Then there's a quality of opportunity which some people think makes sense, mm. but they don't can't really function. And then there is setting up society to maximize the equality of the, the starting point of those at the bottom, which is like rules. Or there's like Hayek, uh, which is expanding or making cutting red tape, you know, uh, regulation uh, taxes for those at the top, which grows the society. So what? I was saying is like, is Carl Blyden really the answer? Well, the reason that is normally put forward is the best thing for society. And one lens is well, the size of the economy. Um, and to me, um, I think that we should treat people differently and not everyone should be treated the same. And we should be trying to give affirmative action to those at the bottom, the starting point, irrespective of skin color. So poor white people should be treated, you know, given the affirmative action as poor black people, as poor brown people as whatever. So society is set up with affirmative action, not based on skin color, but based on income as an example, is one of the easier things to measure. So you don't pay any tax if you're at the bottom, but you pay a lot of tax if you're at the top. If you're trying to apply for universities as an example, I think there could be a help yeah, based on income, <laughs> not uh, in my opinion, because um, wealthy people, skin color doesn't matter. So to me, I do think that the better system to help improve or to you know those at the bottom which i actually think is the best way to grow the pie because if those at the bottom are given the best leg up then the chance of them achieving more is higher does that make some sense so not a quality yeah. of opportunity because you said that and i don't feel that that makes sense yeah so like we've got heaps of tabs open here and we're going to try and see if we can <laughs> yeah good one close them all so um yeah. so i'll quote the two principles that i've got available right now that we're outlining roles as principles of justice. So the first one is each person is to have an equal right to the most extensive total system of equal basic liberties, compatible with a similar system of liberty for all. And the second is social and economic inequalities are to be arranged so that they are both to the greatest benefit of the least advantage and attached to offices and positions open to un all under conditions of fair equality of opportunity. Right. <laughs> this is, yeah, like, I'm assuming you're reading that. Um, the way that yeah. I like from Ian Shapiro, who is a, a Yale philosophy professor, no, 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 politics professor, is just 
the only way you can justify inequality is if it helps those out at the bottom, mm. which I find to be a nice characterization of what you said there, James, which I assume Rawls wrote, which is not wrong, but is uh, I see somewhat hard to access. Yeah, so like that's the that's the starting point, right? So we take this this principle that Rawls and to use Shapiro's example, he seems to be paraphrasing it quite well there. Um, but I think it's helpful to go back to where you were trying to like draw out the distinction of equality of opportunity and equality of outcome, which I do think yeah. gets confused quite um, regularly. So to the point that was already made, equality of outcome would align itself much more closely with Marxism, communism and socialism, where everybody gets the same result. Yeah. And we've kind of seen that rule book play out and it doesn't always go so well. And the idea of equality of opportunity is really focusing more on how can we help each individual get the same starting point. And then from there, it's kind of like up to you with some guardrails along the way, right? And you're still sort of trying to say the same starting point, which is equality of opportunity, which I just think fundamentally is wrong. So that's what I'm hearing anyway. It's the maximize the starting point for those at the bottom and understand that the starting points won't be equal, but that is the best side we've got at the moment. Right. Do you, are you drawing a distinction between that? Because that's what I, I was trying to say before. Um, and to me, yeah, this is, is I think quite different because it fit, sounds like you're saying equality of opportunity, which doesn't work. And we can get into details around that. It sounds like I'm saying equality of outcome is what you meant to say. Equality of opportunity. Well, okay. So this is not what we're trying to say. This is not so, what I think we're trying to say. This is a third thing. It's a maximum opportunity for those at the bottom. That's right, that's so, what Rawls is putting forward. And equality of opportunity, I don't think, again, like if you did that, for instance, one of the core reasons that people work hard is to provide a better start to their children. And if you took 100% of everything away before you could give it to their children, a lot of people will destroy their wealth before they take 100% away. In the US, as I understand it, something like 70% of the money that is generated through someone's lifetime is taken by the government. That's quite a lot. The government's taken 70%. And if you took 100%, then they're like, F this. June, I, I want to be able to provide something to my children. Um, <clears throat> I'm providing a lot to others, you know, to the government, which is then redistributed, and, and you know, you figure out how the parts of this. Yeah. Um, but it is not equal opportunity. So those who all all else equal, who are, earn more, provide a better starting point on average to their children than those at the bottom, and that that is actually the best way, according to rules, to provide a good starting point for those at the bottom to to better. So then. For instance, where do people, I don't know, often want to go? The West, like Australia. I think Australia's starting point is fantastic. Um, and that's because of those at the top that the state can provide free healthcare, free education, you know, great jobs market, good functioning democracy with laws, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So this is going to be a fun exercise because I think you've made the case that it would probably be helpful that we try to define what we think the distinction between opportunity and outcome is. Because for me, it's something that seemed on its merit, super obvious. But when I try and think about, well, how would you actually explain that to someone who's never heard either of these concepts before? Because it seems <laughs> like you and I are on different pages when we're talking about equality of opportunity. And so I think for us to be able to have a clear understanding of how this maps over to things like a colorblind society, it probably helps for us to, to map that out first. Because mm. like what we talk well, about- I'll try before, to explain if you want my two cents on this. Like, so, so your starting point is mainly a combination of four things to me. One is like the minimum wage of the country. Uh, Australia has the highest minimum wage in the world on a purchasing power parity basis, so a lot higher than the US. 
Two is, do you have access to healthcare? Three is, do you have access to education? So in Australia, there's, you know, public healthcare. You can go and walk into a hospital and get help. And then four is, is there a good jobs market? Uh, that's that about 80%. The other 20% is much more specific and individual. Um, and, you know, do we have, I don't know, private schools? Yes. Do we have private healthcare in Australia? Yes. Uh, are some of the jobs, you know, going to be different if you've got more skills? Sure. Um, but it's a combination of those things. <clears throat> and so to try to have everyone have the same starting point means things like taking away 100% of, of the ability for, of parents to help their children at all whether it's inheritance, whether it's healthcare, whether it's education, whether whatever, right? Um, and they've seen that when they, if they try to do that, people destroy their wealth and or stop trying. And so to me, equality of opportunity might sound like a nice idea, but isn't a way to have people strive to grow, to better themselves, to have society's pie grow. And so to me, I don't think it's worked. Uh, and so equality of opportunity isn't something that is shown to have a well-functioning society. There should be some merit involved, but it's not saying that the starting point of everyone's equal. And as such, it's a pure meritocracy. And so you are your starting point plus effort. And if you started lower, all else equal on average, it should be harder than if you start higher. But where do you people still want to move? They still want to come to Australia because they think that the starting point at the bottom is better than it is in whatever, South America or Africa or, or lots of other places. Like, you know, there's mass net migration wanted to come here. Okay, so I agree with what you've said, but the distinction I would make is the difference between private and public resources, right? For me, equality of opportunity is that everyone gets the same access to public resources. And the outcome is what you actually generate wealth, education, health, and um, uh, the job market to private means. So if you have a... Um, an inheritance that you want to pass down to your children, that is a, that is a function of the private um, side of you know, this equation, rather than if we have um, you know, money going to the government and how they decide you know, which schools get the right funding for education, that's a resource, that's a public resource. So what I try to separate here is saying, we're trying to create a society where everyone gets the same opportunity because they all have the same access to the public resource but then what you do on top of that, the outcome you generate as a result of your education, the health um, benefits, the job market, blah, 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 you can then create a private result as, um, from that. Does that help? Sure, but I would say that you can try to legislate, like in a communist society, everyone gets paid the same. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, so you could legislate that you are not able to have private schools. So they've done that in certain places like Finland, right? You can legislate that there is not able to be a private healthcare system. So Canada, as you know, I understand, it, has only a public healthcare system. In Australia, there's a public and a private healthcare system, like a joint. In the US, only private, right? Um, you could say that you aren't allowed to provide any inheritance to your children. And so to me, the starting point is what the, the government provides. For some people, it is only what the government provides. <laughs> and others, the starting point is that plus your family as an example and the families can help you know in different ways some of it's just education and it's not paid education like well if your parents know a lot more about whatever it is in the world then you will know yeah. more about the world and this is what they call so to me the starting point isn't that so I, I think that when people talk about equality of opportunity they're talking about the starting point that the different people in the spectrum get and yeah. one of the main ways that they can easily measure this is income and the income levels of you know say high that those people 
normally have a higher starting point than, and if you look at the outcome of this. So to me, I don't think that the way that you're characterizing this is the standard way uh, that, that it is talked about over a quality opportunity, because it isn't. Um, and this is the sort of thing like, um, so to me, it also doesn't make sense. Like, we want the government doing some things. We don't want the government doing everything. You know, okay, well, that's a very interesting thing. Where's a good, like, very good question. There isn't one really good answer. Some people would say the government should be a referee, not a player. But then others would say, no, the government should be doing certain things like, I don't know, you know, energy, as in like, they provide the utilities. Some people would say they shouldn't. You know, some places they should be doing all education, like Finland or whatever. Others that they shouldn't, you know. So to me, I, I think that what your definition is uh, personally doesn't make sense. Um, that the starting point is what the government provides plus what your family provide and then what you do with it, that your effort. So, so let's say you and your brother, James, got a very good similar starting point or me and my brother and sister got a very similar starting point. We have not the same outcome because one of the core things is effort, you know. <laughs> um, so to me, yeah, I, I would say that I think it makes sense to not talk about it that way. Uh, well, agree to disagree. And I think we're more similar than we're different anyway. So we don't have to go down this rabbit hole because we seem to have veered off uh, trajectories quite considerably. <laughs> but the whole, at least my understanding, the whole point of this mapping of the economic model is to try and get back to why do we have things like colorblindness or affirmative action in the first place? And uh, to paraphrase your point, it is, well, we're trying to figure out how to have um, you know, the best possible uh, living conditions for everyone involved. And when we look at economic models where there were um, concepts like uh, equality of opportunity, uh, you know, op like democratic or capitalistic models for people who live at the top and the bottom of the spectrum, is that a better way for us to try and model over how we can help people live a better life rather than focus on racial identity alone? Would that be fair? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, if you just take, like, the progressive tax system. So should everyone pay the same tax rate no matter what your income is? I don't, I'm not aware of any country that does this. Um, and now I've said that, I'm sure there is someone. But, like, <laughs> Australia doesn't, the US doesn't, the UK doesn't, um, you know, Canada doesn't as far as I'm aware. So to me, this is a form of affirmative action. So either we treat everyone the same or we are trying to give a, a leg up to some people, you know, optimizing for those, you know, at the bottom, as an example, is a rule to say. And so I think that a progressive tax system does make sense. So for instance, if you earn below a certain amount in Australia, and I don't know the numbers, you, you pay zero. And then I think if you earn above 250 or thereabouts, you're paying 50%-ish of your income to the government. Um, and so to me, I think that makes sense. Um, and that doesn't matter what your skin color is, if you're earning more than 250, you're paying the same, you know? And so to me, I think that this system based on, uh, you know, starting point, if you want to call that, or, or uh, is, is, is a much better system. So to me, um, choosing skin color uh, is, isn't um, what I consider to be a, the optimal system um, for this. We ultimately want to provide the best starting point. Um, and I don't know, poor white people shouldn't be disadvantaged over rich black people, as an example, in my mind, if you're applying to like a university in the US. Yeah. So I think the case going forward is, while I don't think you're wrong on any of those points, 
I think in today's world where there are people discussing the notion of colorblindness or um, ideas like standpoint theory, intersectionality, uh, affirmative action, etc., they're not one instead of the other. I think most people operate in a world where they conceive the case for affirmative action based on race in addition to affirmative action based on your your income level and so while i um you know while i take the point that we we should really just be focusing on where people sit on the economic ladder rather than the racial ladder what i think it doesn't strip out is well there are still people who think that we should take race into account irrespective of where you are on the economic ladder and it comes down to for me a basis on identity and for my understanding a lot of people which is historical injustice that have been levied against a particular race in addition to how certain people of certain color are treated in the world today now i think this is why we try and say in a in a liberal in a classic liberal society we don't see color because this is kind of to the point i think you're making which is color isn't important wealth equation and where you sit on the spectrum is important because we want to then support those at the bottom to help lift you know create a rising tide to lift all boats but if you can get yourself to the top that through effort or through other means then that's great for you but we don't want that to be the detriment of those at the bottom so when I hear you talking about all of the different ways in which we should be focusing on applying affirmative action, it sounds to me like, well, that's with an undercurrent of the society should be colorblind. And what I want to try and get to is, do we still think that makes sense? Oh, so the thing like, I, I you are, from what I heard, implicitly saying that you think uh, affirmative action based on race makes sense in that. I don't know if that's what you intended, but that's what I heard. It's like, Yes, it makes sense. And so to me, you want to set up society to be able to help those, you know, you know, as meritocratic as possible, uh, recognizing that a pure meritocracy uh, is very, very hard to do. And in the case of like Ian Shapiro, not possible. And I agree with his arguments about people, you know, destroying wealth. They've done it. Like, they're just since. Uh, <clears throat> so as an example, I think that the minimum wage in the US is too low um, versus Australia. Like if you have a minimum wage that is someone can work full-time and they, they can't live, they can't pay for rent and they can't have food, so they're in poverty, then they are more likely to be pushed to turn to things like crime to get paid because they're, they're not, they're, the legitimate option is harder. Um, if you get sick and you then go bankrupt to try to not die, it affects things, right? So to me in Australia, again, if you are sick, you can walk into a hospital and they will help you. Um, now, they might need to wait. So if it's not like dying of the thing, you know, if you... Um, so if you're dying, they'll help you. But if there's some sort of operation that is not essential, then you might have to wait. Um, whereas in the US, um, you can't. So to me, I think Australia does better from a minimum wage perspective. Having said which, our minimum wage is the highest. And one of the things is that certain industries like manufacturing are therefore less competitive. And Australia has the lowest percentage of manufacturing as a percentage of our GDP in the OECD or developed countries. Um, and that I think one could possibly argue is it's not setting up a good foundation to be able to build different industries in the future, but this is sort of during the different time. So how do you help the US or how do you help Australia? Um, so I think minimum wage should be higher in the US. I think that they should be able to have a public-private healthcare system like Australia where they pay less and get more. <laughs> um, 
So then in Australia, um, the jobs market in the US and in Australia is pretty good. Having said, which is probably better in the US is more diversity. The US education system on average outperforms Australia if you take things like PISA as the way to measure it. Um, and there's a lot more poor people at the bottom, illegal immigrants and other stuff in the US than there are in Australia, uh, minimum wage being lower. And so to me, the best way to help Australia is to improve our education system. Um, we spend sort of roughly top quartile per capita, we get third quartile per capita outcomes. Not saying we can't spend more, but we, you know, we aren't necessarily spending it well. And so the US education system is beating ours, but I would argue that our minimum wage is beating theirs and that our healthcare system is beating theirs. So best thing for US, healthcare, minimum wage, best thing for Australia, improving our education system. As a thing. These things to me, like if there was um, wantonly racist policies like Jim Crow um, or, or whatever, sure. Get rid of them, and I'm not saying that racism isn't part of society, um, but I, I would think it's a significantly smaller portion than it was, say, 50 years ago. And that the best ways to help society move forward are, in my opinion, not affirmative action, race-based policies, but are other things like which I've just put forward. Um, and we are simply having an identity politics fixed mindset, zero-sum fallacy discussion constantly. Um, and in those small ways of looking at the world, I think you could possibly say that it makes sense. So I think, you know, this is whole thing. There are oppressors and oppressed and the world is zero sum. And that means if someone wins, there's another corresponding loser on the ledger and they have to net out. But the world can be positive sum. You doing well can mean the others have a better chance to do well, you know, i.e. brawls optimizing those at the bottom. And so to me, if you have the zero sum fallacy, which is what a lot of people I think have, then it could make sense that inequality is bad Whereas inequality can be good. It rules. Inequality done well is a feature, not a bug. Whereas most people believe inequality is bad now. And then they say, okay, well, the outcome from everyone should be equal. And if there's any not equality, bad. And one lens you can look at that is on average skin color. But I think that's a very oversimplification. One, that the world isn't zero sum. And two, that on average, the skin color of certain people having income lower doesn't mean that all those people are lower. And if you then um, bias towards a student's skin color, you are biasing against other people if it's not the best lens to look at. Does that make some sense? So to me, I think it is well-intentioned, but I feel that it has a number of core tenets about how it justifies it's a good way to help that, in my opinion, aren't the optimal way to help. Right. So um, first point of clarification, I wasn't making the case that racial affirmative action um, is a good thing. I was trying to outline that affirmative action based on race and affirmative action based on uh, economic position don't exist in opposition to each other. They can exist on two separate planes. Because what I think is happening is, and I, and I agree with your point, like I don't think it's, there's ever been a better time where um, you know, racism, you know, writ large, is at its lowest point in at least um, Western societies. I think we have progressively become less racist over time. And I think that's been played out by the abolition of things like Jim Crow. Um, mm. But what I want to try and uh, you know, unpack is, it seems the perception of racism is getting worse at the moment. And one of the things I can I reference is, so there's a Gallup poll where they asked the question, would you say relations between white and black people are very good, somewhat good, or somewhat bad, or very bad? And since mm. 2001, it's been getting progressively worse. And so I think you and I would agree that in reality, it's been getting better, but the perception is that it's getting worse. And I would think 
I don't like. I know there's been a lot of things happening since 2001. The, um, the GFC, um, dot com boom, uh, all of these different things from an economic standpoint. But I still think that we're better off today, but like in general, in general terms, than we were in 2001. So the economic model overlaying with role theory, I think, has been showing signs of progress. But from racial relations standpoint, there's regress. So I guess this is one lens in which we can say, I don't think you're wrong, Duncan. I think if we just focused on, you know, trying to create a harmonious uh, model that support that lifts up people from the bottom and don't look at anything from a racial lens, I think that is a good recipe for society. But I don't think that is necessarily working at the moment. And so that's why I want to try and understand what's going on. And for me, you can think of a lot of the extreme ideologies, such as standpoint theory and intersectionality, that seem to be gaining in popularity from things like Western universities, which are based on there is an irrefutable notion that race plays a part of your identity. And I don't think that's necessarily healthy for an individual uh, mindset or for a functioning society. And the question is, do we think that just going back to the opposite view, which is pretending that race doesn't exist and just saying, well, like, we don't see color is the same, um, is the right approach. Does that help like clarify what I'm trying to pick up? I think it does. Let me try to unpack it. I still think there's a significant contradiction. It's like race doesn't matter or race does matter. Um, <laughs> And to me, again, like we are trying to help make the world better. Um, one way is to, uh, you know, lift for those at the bottom. Um, is if the world is zero sum, then equality of outcome, you know, everyone to the same thing, so it might be something that makes sense, right? If the world isn't zero sum, i.e., the pie can grow, so that is the amount of productivity per person can increase, which has been the case because we have whatever. You know, um, you know, help from machinery. <laughs> you know, you don't have to farm anymore. We've got tractors. You know, you don't have to walk. You've got cars. You know, you don't have to, to think. We've got computers, etc. So, what this means um, is that productivity has grown. The world isn't zero sum, and that, that what we don't want is everyone getting to average. What we want is everyone moving forward from where they were in the past. So, what you want is that the floor rises as much as possible. And that can be measured in things like income, but it can also be measured in things like access to healthcare, access to education, access to a jobs market, as an example, which I would put as the four most important things. And the, the way that people have a zero-sum fallacy, no, inequality bad, one person wins equals one person losing. Like that categorically is not how the, the world is because you can see the productivity per person has gone up and GDP per capita has gone up. So it can be possible. The question then is, well, how do we split the pie in the most equitable fashion? And equitable is sort of an annoying word, but in, so I should use that, in the best fashion. Because equity sounds like it should therefore be equal, that everyone should have an equal slice, which is socialism, which they have tried. And it's a nice idea. It sounds lurid. Like I remember learning about this one. This sounds cool. And then you kind of look into, you know, the details of it and see it was like when they've tried. Um, and you have poor outcomes for people, like in terms of income, you have a surveillance state and mass murder. In all cases, those things have occurred, right? And I'm like, I'll think, how about higher income? How about not a surveillance state? And how about not mass murder? It's called, you know, not socialism. Like, okay. So to me, um, 
what we then are looking is that the starting point for people moves forward. That's what we want. So, so, so zero sum is a fallacy on average. And we want to move things forward. So what you should measure is not whether you've gotten to average, but whether things have moved forward for those people. So the core, one of the core assumptions for how the world works from what I, you know, the, the left seems the middle has moved, <laughs> you know, um, I don't think re relates well to reality. And as such, one of the conclusions for that we should have race-based affirmative action, which I think comes from the fact that equality is the outcome, that the zero-sumness is um, what, how the world works, doesn't stack up. And so to me, I th don't agree with what you're saying. I don't think that we should be having race-based affirmative action. I think that the best path to help forward is what I sort of put forward there. Like education in Australia, I think, is the biggest lever to pull. Um, we, and it's, the money is spent better. I'm not saying we couldn't have more money, but we are not underspending. In the US, the healthcare system, I think, is a giant drag on the thing. Um, I think that the minimum wage is silly, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, these things, and to put forward, I, I think colorblind, and not just that, I think through this, colorblindness is the best way to think about it. Right. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to pick apart what makes sense from a racial lens. Because just to use your example of you know a concept like socialism at base value makes a lot of sense. But the further you look into it, the more you get to down to the detail, there are things that are quite questionable. And for them, you can you can also see the results and they don't seem to have um, the best possible likely outcome. And what I'm trying to do here is trying to make sense of is a colorblind society actually something that has a functional application? Because for me, on the face value, colorblind society makes sense. I would like to think that we all don't see race when we interact with each other. But just when I like look further into the details, I question whether that is actually practical. So I think you and I kind of agree that the other end of the spectrum, which is whether it is negative or positive racism. So negative racism, I think of things like intersectionality, positive racism are things like affirmative action. So based on your race, you get better treatment when you're trying to get into um, higher education. I don't think any of those are net net positive or productive for building a, you know, a better society. But I, want to be careful of just going to the other end by default and just saying, well, then therefore it should be colorblind. And I'm trying to make sense of if it's neither of the two, is it more complicated than that? Like what we're doing in a modern Western society now, which is it's not pure socialism, it's not pure capitalism, it's a mix of both. So that's why I kind of see your lens of the capitalistic model helpful because it helps people understand that it shouldn't just be blanket socialism. It shouldn't just be blanket capitalism. It should be somewhat a mixture based on things like the evolving, um, you know, government models and new deals, etc. And so I'm trying to figure out if we can use that to come to some kind of similar position here when we're looking at well, does it really make sense for us to be in a colorblind society versus well, we should just do away with anything that's race related? Did that help clarify? It does. And I'm, what I'm putting forward is that I do think we should be setting up society to help those at the bottom. And there are multiple ways to sort of look at this, but one of the core ways that is easily measurable is income. Should we be also stopping people or trying to push back on 
well, you are not having an advantage because your skin color, so they, they, they like look more towards their tribe as an example. Yes. So, so to me, that that I think is well encapsulated in color blindness. You don't take color into account. But as an example, do we, for instance, have people pay the same income tax? I don't think no. So to me, I do believe that what I'm saying makes sense and that I don't think colour should be taken into account. I think it should be opportunity that is improved. And so I, at the current time, think that this does make sense and that there isn't a sort of, to me right now, a middle ground that is, is more helpful. Um, whereas I feel like you are trying to say that you do think there is a middle ground and I, I'm trying to find a place where I could apply that well. Um, the tenets of where I think that this happens of like, you know, zero sumness, uh, you know, and as if the world is zero sum, then equality possibly makes sense. You want everyone to get average, right? Whereas if it isn't, you, I think you want everyone to move forward in a maximal way possible. So you want the bottom to lift as much as possible. Uh, or not everyone, but you want the bottom as much as possible. That's what I would I'd be very happy to go with. That is considered a left-leaning uh, orthodoxy, um, not to ripple down economics, which is more right-leaning. And I'm, so I'm very comfortable to optimize society for those at the bottom to give them the biggest opportunity set morally. And I also think it is the best outcome you know, financially because if those at the bottom have the biggest, best starting point, the chance of them making you know, something of their lives is, has minimal impediments. It doesn't mean that it should all else equal be as you know, the same as for someone from, I don't know, whose parents are earning at the top. So to me, I do think colorblindness is a better state society than affirmative action for this for the reasons that I've put forward there. Yeah, so um, colorblind society, definitely better, um, uh, better, better, no, better standpoint than affirmative action. Agree on that point. I think maybe one other uh, you know, input that can kind of help with this was the, the podcast between Joe Rogan and Ben Shapiro. But they were trying to, I think, argue or discuss on a similar lens the difference between a society where there is um, a society where there is now a, a world of equal opportunity and that we shouldn't be looking at how race plays a role in affirmative action type policies versus a society that had been set up in such a way over a number of generations that inherently disadvantages people of color. And so that's what Joe Rogan was trying to explain to Ben Shapiro, which is, sure, you might make the case that everybody gets to start at the starting line the same, but for some people, based on the way in which the systems have been set up, there is like the, the analogy of a finger of being um, pushed down on the scale. And so it's in some people's belief that it's not an equality of opportunity when they're still inherently disadvantaged because of the way in which race plays a role in society. That makes sense? Sure. Um, you've used the word equality of opportunity again, um, which is something that I, again, don't believe makes sense and can be possible. So I don't think we can have equality of opportunity. I don't think it is optimal to have equality of opportunity. And one of the core reasons that people say is when they've tried to do this, i.e. you cannot help your children in any way, shape or form, then you don't, you know, you destroy the wealth before you let the government take it all away from you. So to me, equality of opportunity is a nice idea, but not a practical one in reality. And as such, 
what people say and so this is what you and i think is a good way is that we are trying to help those at the bottom and that if we can help them at the bottom more generation on generation or, or you know that, that we have done better in society and so this is the current best system that i'm aware of and if you look at it like where do people want to move they want to move to the places which have got the best bottom and where effort is rewarded and effectively that's places like the west <laughs> um and so to me I don't think that what you're saying, like a quality opportunity is something that I don't think is possible. And the thing is, you said it like five times this, this podcast. I'm like, it's just a nice idea, just like a quality of outcome that doesn't translate to a society that functions. Mm. So and to me, this, this, this tenant isn't helpful. Right. So I think the best way, again, is that we are starting point of those, you know, moving forward generation, generation not a quality of outcome. And equality of opportunity also doesn't make sense. And so I believe that in these really there was zero sum fallacy, et cetera. And I think it's it's more nuanced than what um Ben Shapiro is saying and what Rogan is saying. Like Shapiro's got a more, in my opinion, pretty one-dimensional right-wing view of 100 percent agency, you know, 100 percent trickle-down economics sort of thing. It's very, very heavily that. Right. So I think one helpful distinction is. I under, understand your point on equality of opportunity is not possible. And whether or not you then use that as the basis for saying it's or optimal. Or optimal. Yeah. But we don't have enough time to go through the semantics of like optimal, <laughs> what we think is optimal, but not from an equality of opportunity standpoint. That's optimal. Uh, best possible, best case scenario. But we're not solving the case. Anyways, <laughs> his daughter has come along. Um, anyways, please continue. Anyway, just looking at the time now, I think we're running out of time as well. <laughs> mm, so, we baked the beans. Okay. James? Yeah, I'm still here. Do you want to go? Yeah, I'll go. So... The question that we wanted to explore is does a colorblind society still make sense? And the approach I wanted to take was trying to figure out we're living in a society where there does seem to be the perception of race relations getting worse. And we're seeing a lot of emerging concepts such as intersectionality, standpoint theory, um, the maturation, and I think possible decline of race-based affirmative action and what role they're playing in helping us build a better society and i think this model of the economic model where we look at well how have we figured out over time the best case scenario for having a you know prosperous society from an economic lens where we see inequality as a feature not a bug and then focus more pointedly on just raising the, the condition for those at the bottom as a way of improving lives for everyone going forward. Where I think we still haven't made the connection or the distinction is how these two concepts still uh, can be isolated of each other. Because I think we do live in a world where we're trying to figure out ways of, you know, with exceptions, obviously, but in general, I think we are trying to figure out ways of raising the living conditions for those at the bottom you know, to increase productivity, through better technology, et cetera. 
but I don't think that that's working across the board for everyone from a racial consideration. And I think it's still for me an unexplored area where we can try and figure out, well, color blindness is an ideal. And for me, it's an ideal, but is it possible? And if it's not possible, what is optimal? And that's something that I still am trying to grapple with. When you said isolated. Um, so to me, the, the um, studies that James pointed out, like racial relations, uh, you know, declining, people thinking you know, in the US, I think is, is quite fair. And what's happened here? Well, to me, um, certain people have decided that, you know, colorblindness doesn't make sense and that there is race everywhere and this should be taken into account. Um, and this is pushed through the media as an example. Um, and to me, it's like, well, why do they think this? I think they think in, that the world has oppressors and depressed and that there's such a core sort of assumption that is that the world is zero sum, which is zero sum fallacy. I think we have had, you know, you know, decades or centuries of economic growth on average, you know, but you know, there are recessions that show that we can have productivity per person improve. And so that as such zero sum fallacy is very difficult to, to not say is, is fair. Um, so I think a core tenant of where these things have come from isn't great. Part of this is then pushing that everything is race related and that, you know, this is victimhood. Um, this is learned helplessness, which are things that have been pushed up. Um, and so to me, there is a understanding of the model of the world, which is zero sum, where equality of outcome, which is a form of socialism, is again on the rise. And they think that's the end goal, which should be happening, which we have seen doesn't work. And that they think that as part of this, if there's not equal, one lens to look at is, is race. Um, but it's also other things like sex, et cetera. And that we should try to have a quality of outcome be the end game. This, this is literally one of the core tenets of this, which not just is zero to five not work, but then the communist sides haven't worked. And in those assumptions, I can see how you might thereby think that affirmative race-based action is the best way to help. But I don't think that the world operates that way. And I think there is overwhelming evidence to support that. And as such, I don't think that this, you know, affirmative-based, you know, colour uh, action or skin-based action is a better way to help society forward from here. I think that we should be thinking about helping those at the bottom and I put the four tenants forward, you know, minimum wage, healthcare, education, and the jobs market, you know, they make about 80% in my mind and there's 20% sort of long tail. And that in Australia, as an example, education, I think is the best way to help. But in the US, I'd say minimum wage and healthcare are the best way to help. Um, and to me, that on average, we've been getting less racist, uh, i.e. getting more colorblind until perhaps it's going, flicking over into, we'll call it like, positive or anti-racism is what people, because some people call it. So to me, yeah, we are almost always going forward in certain areas and we're almost always regressing in certain areas. And this feels like regress to me. Go. All right. Thanks a lot. Yeah, take it. Bye.